You're listening to the Metal Insight Podcast from Metal Ireland, episode number 46. And this one is a real quickie because we just grabbed a little bit of time to talk with a guy who describes himself as the guitarist's guitarist. You may not have heard his name, although he has done an absolute ton of stuff, including some of the biggest stuff going. His name is Ron Thal, uh, goes by the nickname Bumblefoot. Um, And if you don't know him, he's a prog rock guitarist at heart along the lines of Guthrie Govan, people like that. But he, a couple of years ago, got the gig for Guns N' Roses, of all bands. And he did the guitar on Chinese Democracy as well as touring with them. So, you know, he's pretty good. He's what you might call a big name on campus. But anyway, at the moment, he's in a band called Sons of Apollo. That's a prog rock, prog metal supergroup, which basically was started by two of the guys from the classic Dream Theater era, that is... Um, Derek Sherinian, keyboardist with Dream Theatre for a long time, and of course Mike Portnoy, former Dream Theatre drummer. They are joined by Billy Sheehan, who anybody into rock generally should know from the Winery Dogs, David Lee Roth, whatever, and a guy called Jeff Scott Soto. Now, older heads will remember Jeff Scott Soto from his work with Ingwie Malmsteen, particularly in the Rising Force records. His pretty unforgettable uh, vocals to that record. So anyway, they have all jumbled together in a massive prog rock supergroup. And no, it doesn't sound like shit. They have managed to contain their egos. Their new record's pretty great. It's called Psychotic Symphony. Uh, came out last year. But they are taking it on tour and they are coming to Belfast on the 3rd of July. They're going to be at the Limelight uh, on the 3rd of July. You should get there. This is a bit of a chat where I enjoy nerding out about a bit of guitar um, with Ron. We talk about a, a kind of brand of guitar that a lot of people just do not talk about and I feel they should. Um, this isn't sponsored or anything, as you'll hear in the chat, it's just because I just want to know. So, this is Ron Bumblefoot Thal um, from Sons of Apollo. Well, first, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the album, let's see, well, it starts off very simple and normal. Uh, everybody knows each other and has played together and worked together. So that's the first thing I think people usually draw from is the people they know and they're comfortable with. So me and Mike, we have uh, toured together in Metal Allegiance and I played on the first album and we've done a whole bunch of... Uh, performing together with Billy, mm. me, Mike, and Billy. Mm. Uh, we were the house band for uh, like the Eddie Trunk 30th anniversary big concert in New York where we were the, the core band and then guys from Kiss joined us, guys from Anthrax joined us. Uh, and with Derek as well, I played with them uh, at the Progressive Nation at Sea Music Cruise a couple of years ago. So that was almost the whole band right there. Yeah. Uh, with Billy, I've also jammed with him and Ray Luzier from Korn, and, and I've laid guitar solos, like four solos, on an album that Billy produced, a fantastic artist named Madame Mayhem. Uh-huh. And we all have these connections and these backgrounds of things we did. So it was a January of last year, Mike sent me an email saying, hey, you know how we always talked about putting a band together? Well, me and Derek have this idea, and they were going to go into the studio, 
just for a week and a half in March and write and record the album. I mean, it's it's a, it's an incredibly. I mean, given that the genesis seems to have been Mike, and um, given that he's been working with the likes of Avenged Sevenfold and, and bands like that in recent years, it's a very traditional metal prog metal album of of the late eighties kind of school, isn't it? It is to me when I hear it, I hear the sum of our influences is the best way to put it. Mm. You hear Van Halen, uh, Randy Rhodes, uh, you hear neoclassical stuff, you hear some grunge, you hear everything that inspired us. It's weird that you say that, uh, that the sum of your influences, because you really, really, really can. I mean, but it's a texture and a mood thing. Um, I hear so much um, rising force, obviously, because, you know, Jeff, but... I, I, I do hear Dream Theater. I hear a lot of Passion and Warfare. Um, I even hear bits of Alan Holdsworth and, and, I don't know, Frank Gambale and stuff all over the place. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. There's influences of, of like, let's say, UK-era Holdsworth, uh, things like that. It's all in there, and it's all things that, as we were recording and writing, one of us would say to the other, oh, you know, that reminds me of this, and the other would smile and say, yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> we were like a bunch of little kids just doing what we loved and yeah it was definitely like a tribute to the things that inspired us yeah When you get the chance to play with like Mike Portnoy, you know Mike and and Derek. I mean, who have been on some of the most institutional prog rock, prog metal albums ever. I mean, you, did did that allow you to go further than you could even go yourself on, on prior records? I think well, definitely because you can only do so much on your own. So for a lot of my solo records, where I'm really writing everything, it's just coming from one frame of mind, one spirit. And that's what we love about bands. That's what makes bands great is that you have everybody's collective identities and ingredients being mixed together and it forms something just much more than you can get from one person. So having them doing what they do, they're doing things that I wouldn't think of or wouldn't even be able to do. And it inspires something more in me. It's funny because it doesn't initially strike you as a a live band situation, given you know how difficult it must be to get all you guys in the one room for any you know for longer than five minutes. But you're taking it out on the road. How does it change in the live setup? Because it's inc- I mean, I can imagine you know what it must be like seeing Queensrÿche or you know Fate's Warning or something live. I guess this is a similar kind of proposition. How does it change in the live uh, venue? It's very much a rock show. Uh, you don't feel like you're at a progressive show. Um, you don't feel like it's all about the playing. It's definitely about the energy. And we, we play the stuff that we do. Uh, we don't skimp on any of that aspect. But it's a high energy, a lot of sweat, <laughs> a lot of running around. It's a real rock show. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people... I think we're surprised at. Uh, they might have expected us to be a little more reserved and maybe just focused 
on our hands mm -hmm. and we're not we're focused on the audience and we're having a lot of fun up there we're just joking around with each other and and just it's you'll see it's a high energy rock show and one thing i'm really really interested in is i remember as a kid when i was growing up i used to see adverts in guitar magazines for these vigier excalibur guitars and stuff and i thought why why does nobody play these things because they, they look flawlessly but you know they look gorgeous they, they always did um oh they are you know yeah. but, but so few people play them um tell me a bit about your your i mean i know you've got the double neck number but you obviously have a relationship with them what is it that they that they bring it always seemed to me that the quality of the construction was it was a big part of it but what, what to you do they bring to your playing well, I've been with Vigier now for about 21 years, mm. and they're family to me, and and they make guitars that, for me, look, feel, play, everything the best. They they definitely, they feel the best in my hands. Uh, they're so meticulous about the construction. Patrice Vigier, who, who owns the company, he truly feels that a guitar is a, a piece of art and he pays attention to every detail and and they make sure that everything is good. I think the fact that they don't mass produce and they've done everything by hand, mm. you know, it's a boutique guitar company. It's not a mass production guitar company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're not going to see 10,000 of them dispersed throughout stores around the world. Mm -hmm. You're going to order one and it's going <laughs> to it take a year to get if they have to make it to your exact specifications uh i mean they will wait four months for the paint to dry to make sure that is fully cured mm -hmm. things like that uh they care about every detail so much and they make a great guitar and uh we hit it off personally and, and they were up for making all my crazy guitars that i always made i would build my own guitars and make these strange monstrosities uh when we first started working together, they were up for doing some unique one-offs. Uh -huh. You know, they have their line of guitars that they make for everybody, but but they were willing to do some special versions for me. Like I had a Swiss cheese guitar that I made myself. That was my main guitar throughout the 90s. And they made uh, replicas of it, like down to every tiny detail. Mm -hmm. uh, they make the the signature double neck with the fretted and the fretless mm. uh, with all the little bells and whistles the hole in the bottom with uh, a magnetized hole that houses a thimble that i keep on my smallest finger of my picking hand that i use to hit against the string to shorten the length of the string and get higher notes beyond the fretboard the way you press a string against the fret on the neck shortens the length of the string and you get a higher note uh, this is like a mobile fret that you keep on your finger. That you a mobile fret, <laughs> a mobile fret. What a great term, dude! Do, do, do you think you have you think of yourself as sort of like a a metal scientist or a metal technician? Um, I think more of myself as a metal kid in a toy store. <laughs> yeah.
you are very much um, one of the slow burn uh, success stories of your trade, really. I mean, to, to think that it was actually Joe Satriani, you know, that recommended you for the Guns N' Roses gig, if 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 the stuff on the web is correct. I mean, the the idea that you have that level of name recognition among the people that matter, um, even though, um, you know, you 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 wouldn't quite be a household name. It's fair to say just yet. You know, it, it must be a nice place to be because the right people know who you are. It's the kind of thing where, when I was a young kid, I wanted to be a rock star. And then as I spent decades doing it, I realized that I love teaching, I love producing, and I almost love being invisible more. And I found that there's two houses of thought or, or of, of motivation to it all. Some people want attention and some people want respect. Mm. And I realized that what I really wanted was the respect. And I didn't give a shit about the attention. I didn't. I stopped wanting to be a rock star, and I just wanted to make things that had artistic value. That, that that's really interesting because, I, I, and I know. I, again, I, I know we're not here to talk about Guns N' Roses. I won't talk about Guns N' Roses themselves. But the motivation then for you to, because because joining such a band like Guns N' Roses seems to almost be the opposite of wanting the respect rather than the attention no true and very true but what i've also realized in life is in order to grow you have to step out of your comfort zone so i had figured out what my comfort zone was it was that behind the scenes uh guitarists guitarist mm. and having a following amongst musicians perfect but description not being a household name and not having the attention and then at some point you realize you need to get out of your comfort zone and do something that is really not you in order to become a better you um, and a fuller you and a more complete you and a more diverse you and, and just a better you what did you take so from it all it. what did you take out of, of all of that Ah, I learned a lot about how a big touring machine works mm. and that side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I became a much better performer. Uh, you know, it's one thing to play in a club full of musicians uh, playing wacky stuff and being silly and feeling comfortable. It's another thing to be playing download where people are throwing bottles of piss at you and still be able to put on a good show and be able to <laughs> get the crowd to sing along yeah 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 and uh, musically i mean you've obviously brought some of that back to the comparatively smaller stages that you're now you know going to be going on but probably probably a bit more satisfying after all that madness <laughs> um so yeah, after that... doing it all and the interesting thing is that now there's a uh a peace in the soul feeling like you've done it all because I will do in the same run of shows I will go to Thailand and play a huge festival that's all for a children's charity that brings 40 to 50,000 people there and be a headlining artist there Mm -hmm. without guns myself now Mm -hmm. and do that and then from there I'll go and I'll do a clinic for 50 people and I'll do everything in between 
and it's okay. I don't feel like I have to prove anything anymore. I've done it all, and now I can be okay with it all. Uh, I'm fine doing a little solo show, like a one-man show, for 50 people or 100 people, uh, or playing with Sons of Apollo for a few hundred to, you know, in the thousands, or doing a big festival for tens of thousands, and it's all okay. I think, and in uh, fact, I would be empty if any of that was missing. If I was just doing big shows, and that's one thing that I did realize, is that I enjoy the personal connection more than the big giant stage. I would rather do something where it's something personal for the people in the audience. And I get to do it all, and I'm still doing it all. But the thing I enjoy most is the personal part where you can talk to someone and you can joke around with someone from the stage or you can shake someone's hand from the stage or whatever it is, just having that togetherness in the moment and not the separation of, of the audience being 20 feet away from you. It sounds like you got your priorities in the right place to me, I must say. Um, just before we go, we'll wrap up now, but just give me one tip that kind of guitarists guitarists as you as you quite rightly describe them what is the level that takes you from being pretty damn good in your bedroom and on youtube to really really being on a, on a higher level and i don't just mean getting out and playing gigs everybody knows that but what is the what is the head space what's the realization you need to take it really somewhere else like you you have uh guitarists need to remember that they don't control the universe and they should stop trying uh, <laughs> we are not uh, the world's greatest songwriters we are not the uh, timekeeper of the music we are not the leader we are not the boss the drummer is the boss of the music and you need to follow the leader follow the drummer pull back on where you're playing in the groove and or I should say like right on the, the beat don't ever play in front of it. Always get on it or, or stay behind it and let the drummer set the pace of things and follow that. And that is what makes you feel like you play with a groove. If you step in front and try and push things forward and try and control it all, you're going to have no feel and the music isn't going to feel good for the listener. So let the drummer do what he does and respect the drummer and respect all the people that you're playing with and what they contribute you couldn't do it without them. That uh, uh, That is an amazing uh, and concise piece of advice for which I think people will be very grateful. Ron, thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciate you. it. We shall see you when you come to Belfast in Dublin. And um, uh, Looking forward to looking it. Looking forward to it. All right, everyone, that was episode 46 of the Metal Insight podcast. I got a banging episode coming up for you uh, in the next fortnight. It's from someone from the wider metal world, uh, a woman who's had a huge impact on metal you may know her name you may not uh, but she you, you you you'll know her that's all i'm gonna say you'll know her so look check back in in about a fortnight i'm earl gray this has been the metal insight podcast over and out